Hello everyone and welcome back to the Misunderstood World Podcast. I'm your co-host Bill. I'm Dylan. And today we're doing another Current Affairs episode. This is our second Current Affairs episode. And uh, yeah, so how are you, Dill? I'm very well, thank you, Bill. Not too bad, not too bad. How how are you? Grant, what have you been up to? I just finished work and then come home, did some research, what we're going to be doing on today's podcast. Very excited. We have a good show tonight. Yeah, very good. So uh, let's just get straight into it. So the f- Great. what caught my eye in the news this week was um, it was that for five hours last week, Greece ran entirely on electricity from solar, wind and water. Now, oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, no, that's quite amazing if you ask me because... Five hours for a whole country to run to run on renewables. That's that's quite that's brilliant, isn't it? Though? Oh, it's definitely extra- extraordinary. Tell me some of the stuff they were doing. Uh, what what equipment? What 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 methods they're using to generate electric and power bill? Tell tell the listeners. Yeah, I will. I will. So um, it was so uh, Scott. Yeah, so I'm reading this off Sky News. I'm just at the moment, listeners. If you can go have a look for yourself on this, but uh massive like rolling hills of solar farms like it's quite amazing to see this image on sky news and um it's yeah rolling and rolling hills of solar panels so let's see um let's see what it has to say so it reached a record high of 3106 megawatt hours which is mwh of electricity at 9am local time according to the ipto the country's independent power transmitter operator. The IPTO said for the first time in history of the Greek electricity system, the demand was over 100% from renewable energy sources. That's for the first time in history. That's quite, you know, when people think Greek, Greece still, the first thing that doesn't pop to my mind is renewable energy. The first thing that pops to mind is good food and sunshine, you know? So, gladiators. Yeah, gladiators. Yeah, yeah. Russell Crowe out that, there for any of you. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, Oli? Think of Greece. I generally think of tourism. To tell the truth, I know they have quite a big tourism industry. You go to all sorts of places in Greece, catered to all sorts of uh, different types of British tourists and other European tourists. But no, energy isn't really a thing I think of, Bill. When I first no. think of Greece, no, no. And it says here as well, Greece aims to to more than double its green energy capacity as it hopes renewables will account for at least at least 70% of its energy mix by 2030. So by 2030, Greece, 70% of its energy will be from renewables. You know, and for our country, because when you think of Greece, you don't think to yourself, oh, they're, they're leading in power or they're leading in even a few things, I'm not sure. So that's quite amazing, really. So, well, they're not that big of a country in terms in terms of the EU. I don't think they're even that 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 economically that big either. I know, I I know. I think it was two thousand eight or two thousand ten when they joined Europe. It was um, they wanted um, bailout because obviously, if recession, a global recession, it hit them quite hard. Actually, to be honest with you, the bigger countries like us, ourselves, and Britain, Germany, and France had to bail them out. Um, a lot of people were very unhappy about this. But uh, yeah, they were, economically speaking, back then they were not that strong. So it's quite remarkable to see how they are now developing the country, yeah. uh, finding their own way to generate power and, you know, boost their economy. It is it is amazing, Dale, definitely. And as you said, like the main, 
source of money I thought for Greece was tourism, and I'm sure it is. That's the main bit sure, of money coming is. in. Yeah. So Tylos, which is a part of Greece, it's um part of the uh don't quote me on the pronunciation here though decanese group of islands is also working towards running entirely on renewable energy under a 30 billion euro project funded by the eu and private investment it'd be interesting to to figure out how much of that 30 billion euro is eu and how much is private investment but obviously they're not gonna they wouldn't probably put that out there would they no, I, I, dis, I disagree. I'm sure if you were to do a bit more uh, digging, you could find out percentages because they're using taxpayers' money to do it. So as uh, obviously we're not in the EU anymore, but when we were in the EU, we did pay uh, tax towards them. So as a taxpayer, you are entitled to know how much and what is being spent on these sort of projects. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a uh, freedom to information, isn't it? So yeah. Nico... Nikos Man- Manzaris, a partner at the Think Tank at the Green Tank, said that the last Friday's performance was important because it shows that a 100% renewable electricity system is within reach in Greece, a concept that was considered impossible by most opinion and decision makers in Greece before. Mm. And like you said, though, that's down, down to their economy collapsing and all a good few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know anything about that Greece uh, collapse, or, or do you not know? Do you do you know anything about what happened there? Um, I knew it was due to um, the uh, credit crunch. What happened? or hit all our countries. So it hit America, hit Britain, uh, but also hit other European countries. I don't think Greek, as an EU member at the time, had the strongest economy. So it was up to the um, larger country members of the EU, like France, uh, Germany and Britain to sort of bail them out because they also bailed out Ireland as well because they didn't have that strong of an economy either um, because that's how the EU is sort of built up. Um, these were one of the arguments for leaving is that we're helping to sort of fix up these smaller countries' economies and we're not looking after our own. However, I do believe it's a duty that us as the bigger countries have to um, contribute to um, help help building these smaller countries' economies up um, yeah. in those situations because if they can f- flourish under a strong economy, they will in return bring value to the EU and bring value to our country as well because, you know, it's all about how we um, do business now. We are, um, you know, the global world. We, we are in the glo- – we're, we're a global country now. It isn't like, you know, 80, 90 years ago we were all separate countries. We all have to – we all now have to band together and stuff through global markets and international companies like Amazon or – you know, companies like that. Um, if the if a country's economy is low and goes into recession, it will affect us all in the trade chain. Like for example, it, you know, if you think of Greek, if you think of products, say olives come from Greek, so there would be a supply problem with olives, and that will affect us as well when we're buying olives. So it's stuff like that, really. Um, but yeah, what I knew about it is that. It was a recession. Their economy wasn't that great anyway, and then, and then we had to sort of bail them out, basically, or they'd go bankrupt, which would in turn affect our our, our country and make it more make, make it go deeper into recession. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Cheers for that, though. All right. 
The road for the deployment of renewables in Greece during the last decade has been bumpy with many hurdles and periods of stagnation. An electricity mm. system with the increasing shares of renewables is technically feasible if it is supported by energy storage technologies and adequate grid systems. Well, that makes sense. You have to have the infrastructure to support all like the rolling hills and that is the one of the key things renewables. yeah i agree you know because of the grids like we've got here the national grid haven't we in the uk yeah a massive system like it's it's actually we'll, we'll probably do i might do a future episode on that in the future the national grid i think it's definitely to consider yeah yeah um it says here it all is it also it is also economically preferable by far compared to electricity produced by uh, lignite, lignite or gas, even if one includes the cost of storage, Mister Manzara said. So yeah, it says the problems are are not insurmountable. He said, uh, this man said, the bottlenecks for further development of renewables are grid capacity. That's that's just what I just said. Lack of adequate energy storage capacity and lack of an appropriate spatial plan for the proper uh, sizing of renewables. Then he goes on to say. Since none of these problems are insurmountable, it all boils down to political will and the resolve of the Greek government to resist intense pressure for the development of new fossil gas infrastructure instead of scaling up the shift to renewables. So basically what he's saying is there shouldn't be any more infrastructure built um, to host the fossil gas and the fossils like uh uh, fossil fuels there should be more scaling up now of the infrastructure that's gonna um help uh with the renewables if you know what i mean though absolutely absolutely i think i think it's hard for governments like that because um i think one of the arguments was say fossil fuel energy compared to renewable energy we know fossil fuel energy works and we know it's easy to obtain or it's easier to obtain really i i think you probably know this is cheaper too it's economically cheaper to say get our energy out of the ground than, say, invest into new technology. Um, so it is hard for governments. It's a bit like, do you want immediate energy and power or do you want long-last sustaining energy power, but you'd have to work on it uh, and it may cost the taxpayer because they're paying their taxes a little bit more money. So it's that's sort of the argument they're going against, really. They're like, we have this instant energy now, what's in the ground we can use, or we can invest in this energy it, it doesn't seem cheaper, but it's a lot more sustainable. And in the long run, it would be better because it could keep people in jobs rather than if people kept with, uh, say, fossil fuels, they'd probably uh, be um, made redundant in about 50, 60 years. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, mm. It's one of those things with fossil fuels, I think. Obviously, the world just can't. It's, I remember uh, I was hearing Elon Musk say this the other day, and I agreed with him. He was on the, on one of his previous uh, Joe Rogan podcasts. He yeah. said, we just can't stop automatically using fossil fuels because the world would collapse. There'd be no energy, like you know what I mean? So a, a slow weaning off fossil fuels... Uh, is the way forward while like you say putting money and infrastructure in to boost the renewables as we wean off the fossil fuels and like you said though you know the fossil fuel industry will slowly lose more and more jobs as well yeah but as long as long as there's people in the fossil fuel industry switch and get retrained and work for say the um the greener energy and the cleaner energy then that's a problem as long as people 
are willing to get retrained and will get retrained as long as there's government jobs or private sector jobs for those uh, uh, people. People, well, there, obviously there will be some job losses, but if we can make the job losses up with these new new uh, types of work, then no, no, there won't be as many people on, who are unemployed from that if we can retrain people. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of doing it. So it says here, renewables dominated electricity grid is with Insight. According to the electricity data from Ember, an independent think tank, Greece generated 39.4% of its electricity from renewables last year. That's quite impressive. Including 19.8% from wind, 99 from hydro, and 89 from solar. See, that's mad, because I thought solar would have been... Um, I thought solar would have been would have been the highest one, but it's not. It's wind. Mm. But uh, but that and that, that brings me back to another point. Just while I think of it, what Elon Musk said on that podcast, he said, uh, Joe Rogan asked him, uh, "Can solar energy get better?" And apparently, we are now at a milestone where solar uh, technology can't actually get better. It can't get better. No it's solar energy, like the you know like. The technology, like, so say you have like a solar panel, that technology cannot be improved. That's the best technology that will ever be. It can't be improved on. Yeah. For, I so, mean, for solar, that is what I'm saying. As for solar. I mean, so allow me to play devil advocate here for a second, Bill. Solar energy is okay for a country like Greece where more or less it's constant sunshine because you're constantly getting energy. But the uh, limitations to solar energy is that. If you don't go to a sunny country, or if it isn't a place where the climate is sunny, then you're not going to get really any much energy, really, are you? Yeah, I think yeah. they're one of the biggest limitations to. And obviously, again, the cost of it costs more. So there's no point. There's no point in you installing solar panels. It costs you a lot of money. The government a lot of money, and then the output of energy isn't worth its while. It's a bit like do you remember the payback. Um, formula for science is when you buy this equipment. How many times can you? How much? How many times can it pay back before you make your money back on it? And I think that is one of the limitations to sell energy. It's great for like a really sunny country like Greece or Hawaii, you know, a sunny state in America, or um, some of the African countries where the suns are where the suns are shining. But a place like Britain, where it can get well, it is sort of sunny, but it can also get cloudy. Or a place like. Um, Ireland, where it's not as warm, so you don't have that much of sunshine. I don't think solar energy would be the most effective. I think it'd be more um, tidal energy, uh, especially in Britain and Ireland, because of the coast. And also, uh, if you go to a place like, um, say, Germany, where it is, where areas of it is cold, and you don't get a lot of sunlight, or Russia, then um, you won't get much of the sunlight. So it wouldn't be worth their time making solar panels there. Yeah, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Well, the thing about uh, the sunlight and sun, the sun's rays, the sun, the sun's rays are con- they're always hitting Earth because obviously that's why it's daylight outside. But like mm. you say, the the science of it is uh, where there's less cloud, there's more concentration of the sun's rays because they're not being reflected back off the clouds. If you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah, so ba- yeah. So back to what I was saying here. So it generated. So it generated sixty-one per- uh, Greece. This is Greece generated sixty-one percent of its electricity from fossil fuels in twenty twenty-one. So it was forty percent gas uh, and eleven point three percent coal, and that that's compared to in twenty twelve fifty-one point two percent came from coal, twenty-two percent came from gas. 
7% from hydro, 6% from wind, and 2% from solar. So there you go. So And it says Embers 2030 Renewables Target says Greece is targeting 70% renewable electricity for the whole year by 2030. Portugal is aiming for 100%. Uh, Netherlands is aiming for 97% and Germany is aiming for 80%. So it's the elect- the electricity being produced. Um, there That's the percentage is going to be for the renewables. So there you go. So I'm just going to get up quite a f- I'm just going to move on to talking about some facts about renewable energy now. We'll move off Greece uh, a bit more. And yeah. uh, Right, so let's go. So... As you as you know, and as the listeners would know, so renewable energy can take many forms. It can uh, hydropower, solar power, wind energy, uh, anaerobic digesters like energy from food and bacteria. We can even generate energy from our own rubbish now. Uh, so waste is non-recyclable. Uh, can be it can be broken down and burned out to create power. So so there you go. And also, another fact about renewable energies, in the UK, wind power is the most harnessed source of green energy. Do you know that, though? No, but I had an idea, and that's why they were doing it, um, doing the wind wind farm on the off the coast of North Wales, um, because, because of that. Uh, that's caused a lot of arguments, say, is it worth it? Has it caused too much uh, visual, uh, visual uh, pollution and pollution to the seabeds? Um but it seems like it, it is. It, it, there are some upsides to it. Um, but you know, I, I had an idea. It was quite high. I, I didn't realize it was the highest, but I, I had an idea. It was a high. Yeah. Yeah. Around fifteen percent of the country's electricity was created using wind turbines. Now that's quite. That's quite. Um, that's quite positive, really. Fifteen percent of yeah. the UK's energy was created using wind turbines. That was in twenty seventeen. So obviously, there's a lot more wind turbines gone up since twenty seventeen. So that percentage, I'd say, is a bit higher now. And to put that into context, that's enough power to that's enough power to power twelve point seven million homes. Fifteen percent. That's very quite, good. That that's is amazing. Good. That. To be honest, Bill, I'm not a scientist in any way whatsoever or an engineer. But what I'm saying is if um, countries do want to um, go down the green route of producing energy, which, of course, is a good thing, we, they need to sort of um, use their climate. So like how Greece has used their climate of sun and Spain and how Britain has used wind is what we were saying. If they use the natural resources to their advantage to produce energy, you could, with enough funding, you could see... But as you say, higher percentage goals more to it, I would yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. You? And as yeah, exactly. So like the UK is particularly suited for wind turbines because like you say, Dill, it's so windy here. The northwestern position mm. of the UK, though, means there's a constant gust to keep the turbines moving. And obviously Scotland is gonna be the um, the, the one sitting in the breeziest position. Of course, of course. So renewable energy sources do not emit greenhouse gases, obviously. So the world's top culprit for global warming. And in the future, me and Dil will we will do a big long episode, I think, on global warming. You know, like I think a, so. I an think early an early Monday, an early the week episode. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um although do you think some of the um, targets there, um like Portugal wanna go hundred percent using green 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 energy. Do you reckon some of them are, are unobtainable? Do you reckon they're by twenty thirty as we're now in twenty twenty two? Do you reckon it's it's cause that's only a few years away. Do you reckon that's quite uh an 
Uh, would you reckon that's quite an unreachable target? Do you reckon they've uh, um, they've uh, run before they can walk? Well, what do you think, Bill? I I think in some cases it can be quite uh, an, an unrealistic target. I'm afraid. Well, what what do you think? What yeah, you yeah you're right. You are right. There are some, as you know, when countries go to these energy summits and stuff, they just put numbers down just to tick boxes. Um, mm. But um, I think some countries, if they really put their mind to it, it is you. They can do it, but like you say, they'll. Some of them are just unrealistic. A lot of the targets, and they just say it just so people stop asking questions. You know, so um, which, that's which what is I wrong, really, because I think governments around the world should be open and honest to their people, not just say things to make themselves good or get reelected, or again to go to summits and put them put them on good, but to be honest. Because I think don't get it wrong, I'm not one of these people who are quite negative and quite positive, but we do need to set reasonable things. Um, a reasonable thing wouldn't be to take, cut down all the um, gas ways of doing it straight away. It's to, as you would say, wean them off. Because as we can wean them off, slowly by slowly, and we leave more to green energy, slowly by slowly, you'll get more energy from the green, uh, from going green rather than the old, this old uh, digging up gas. So... I think uh, people have to understand that, um, you know, uh, obviously global warming is a problem and climate change is a problem, but you, we, we can't have unrealistic goals. You have to learn to sort of manage it and do it in time with technology and how society is with it. You can't just sort of jump the gun and be like, yes, we can do that. I'm promising the moon when you can't deliver. Although it can be same for any government, that I suppose, really. Yeah. But no, yeah. it's, it's true, you know. Yeah, and as the green energy sector grows, not only does it create a positive impact on the environment, but it generates more jobs. It actually creates three. Um, the green energy sector creates three to five more jo- uh, more jobs than the non-renewable sectors. So, like, right. who could say yeah. no to a healthy planet and a healthy economy, right? Though, no, absolutely, you wouldn't say no to that. Um, no more jobs is a better thing. I know when we used to get our energy from coal mines. Um, in this country, it, it powered a lot of jobs, miners, uh, people who would ship the coal, dock workers. So you would have the economy there. But what we're hoping, or I think what we're hoping with any sort of green energy is that we can get more jobs and better quality jobs, higher paying jobs. So, you know, I mean, you can even see it from the wind farm. Um, now I remember, excuse me, I remember a few years ago um, when I was um having a look at to go into college or sixth form is that they were recruiting uh, welders or engineers to work on the turbines. That's what it was. I think the unit was like energy and it was doing work with the turbines. So it's good that they are, um, they start to plan these jobs for the future because they, they, these will be the next generation of people who can get energy. You know, in the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, it was coal mining and now it will be turbines, solar, hydro energy which is you know quite extraordinary it shows as a planet how far we've come and how far we have to go exactly exactly so there you go and just to finish up on my little uh, news thing today i'm just going to talk about one more thing so oh, uh, fossil fuels receive the biggest subsidies from governments compared to renewable energy sources the u.s is the biggest country uh, contributor uh, propping up the dirty energy industries at over a hundred billion a year, so so they're saying the US gives a hundred billion to fossil fuel companies every year. A hundred billion. Think where that money could go to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And saving the planet. It's just a crazy amount of money. 
Well, again, I think the reason is is because it's again it's easier to do. It's easier than to tame, and also you have the oil rigs down in Texas and America, so it fuels quite a long struggle their economy. Um, I think Trump was a big believer in them, the old ways of making energy. Um, his argument was it would keep jobs in America, which you know is a valued a valued argument if you talk it on jobs. But again, as we've discussed in this podcast, and as anybody who um, is into science, energy, or as an environmentalist, it isn't a sustainable job. So it might keep a generation of workers in for about 40 years or 50 years, but then what are we going to do afterwards, you know? Um, but again, you know, it's that's probably the reason why, because it probably goes to the economy, especially places like Texas, out in the oil rigs and places like that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's everything from the renewable energy section of this podcast. So, Dale, what's your topic for this week? Well, well, glad you brought that up, Bill. We have exciting news again. Now we have a new chancellor. Uh, I, it is now Jeremy Hunt, Bill. We have a new, uh, we have a new, new, a new uh, occupant in number eleven, and it's very, very exciting. Number eleven does he live? Yeah. Yeah. So the prime minister lives in number ten. The chancellor lives next door to number eleven. I didn't know that. Yeah. Did you? Uh, well, for viewers who don't know, this chancellor lives next door to the prime minister now. I know in the past we have uh, we, you have deputy prime ministers. However, really, realistically, the, the, the only actual deputy is the chancellor. You have the prime minister who's in charge, and then you have the chancellor who is in charge of the budget. So would you and the chancellor's like kind of second in command in a way? The, the chancellor is saying, even though it is, it's not meant to be, it's a deputy prime minister, in actual fact, there's actually a chancellor who's um, second in command because the chancellor decides... You know which department gets some money, what gets cut, what needs spending on. It's it. They they're basically in charge of uh, balancing the books almost. Um, you know there've been quite a few chancellors. I know John Major was Fatch Chancellor and Gordon Brown was Tony Blair's Fat um, Chancellor. So you get a lot of former chancellors who end up becoming Prime Minister. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Honest. Yeah, because they're like it's like second in command. It's like if you think of the Prime Minister in a football team as manager, you'd think of Chancellor as being the captain if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's very much that sort of relationship, really. Um, you know, it's, it's where the power lies in, because the prime minister, the prime minister can make all the promises, but again, if there's no money, how, how are they going to deliver on anything? So the chancellor is always second in command. Um, so we have a new chancellor and he replaced, uh, Zavawe. Um, after, as, as I think that was due to the U-turn he delivered. Uh, not U-turn, sorry. That was due to the uh, e mini budget he de- he delivered. Basically, crushed a pound and made our con- country an absolute laughing stock on the um, global stage. Um, Quasi Carton is no longer man- is no longer chancellor, and we now have a new one, Jeremy Hunt. Um, if you have a look at his credentials, I'll just bring them up for you now. He ran for PM against Boris, didn't he? He did. He didn't win, fortunately. Um, but if you just look at his uh, credentials, um, he was—he actually was chancellor. So he's now chancellor, but he was previously uh, the secretary of state for culture, Olympics, media for sport from 2010 to 2012. So. He was he was in charge of um, he was in charge of um, uh, the culture Olympics and media when the time that David Cameron's government came in and the coalition he was actually in charge of the media and sport. Then he was uh, health health and social health or secretary of state health and social care 
from 2010 to 2018. Um, he he was famously known. He uh, actually made a bit of a mess out of it because he basically um, cut the pay of junior doctors and nurses. They went on massive strikes. He gave people hours overworked. So he's basically he was basically given the award for messing up the um, NHS and how how we have problems now with the NHS. That's because he started with the camera of the austerity cuts. Him, Cameron, and um, Osborne, who was Cameron's uh, chancellor at the time. What cuts were um, they in? Austerity cuts, did you say? Yes. Yeah, so, or what are they for? Just for the listeners. And oh, you don't. Know, right. Well, and for myself. <laughs> so, the Conservative government, when they came into power in 2010, we were in the middle of a global recession because of America. So, we needed to have cuts on health service, public services, and everything, because that's what happens when you're going into a recession. You need to. You need to cut people's taxes so they can save more. But you need to cut. You need, to, as Tony Blair says, you need to have a sort of fine line balance. You need to learn how to balance a box of cutting taxes and saving, but also putting a new investment opportunity for the economy to grow. Um, so the austerity cuts were brought in to sort of um, cut down the spending to save money during the recession, and uh, we haven't really left them since. Since then, really, to be honest, even though the, when the economy was doing okay, there wasn't really a need to, really. Because, you know, if you look at the ideology of a conservative, it is generally low tax, um, more savings that's the economy grow. But, you know, there are limitations to that method of uh, growth. And, yeah, I don't believe that's a very effective way of growing the economy, personally. Um, he then served as Foreign Secretary from 2018 to 2019, and that's when he, as 2019, he ran as... Um, um, leader to Johnson didn't get in, and now he's been appointed as a he's now been appointed as chancellor. So I don't really know what to expect from Jeremy Hunt personally. Um, again, I don't think he was that good of a health and social health and health and social care secretary because of what he did. He caused mass strikes between junior doctors and nurses and started the uh, crumbling of the NHS, which he was trying to do. You know to um, you know save save money basically in the long short of it. Um, I um, I don't know. I don't know. Again, he's inherited quite a mess. I'm afraid, um, because of what, um, because of what the former chancellor did to devaluing the pound. Because what he basically did for listeners who don't understand, his mini budget was uh, basically trickle down economics, which is a very libertarian way of taxation. So if you if you cut corporation tax, so corporation tax is tax from the super wealthy. What will happen is if you cut their tax, it will increase their economy and it'll trickle down to um to the to, to average people. Didn't work, um, because it never does. I mean, if anything, Sunak, Rishi Sunak, uh, when he was chancellor, I was going for to going to be um going for leader of conservatives. Argues against Liz Truss called it uh, for kind of called call it financially uh, um uh, financially irresponsible. Uh, if you have a look at um, what's happened now, is we've we've now he's now had a situation where we've gone through recession. We're not we've gone through COVID, we've gone through Brexit, and we've gone through um, the cost of living crisis. So I don't know what Jeremy Hunt will have to do to sort of uh, win back the vote or try and fix the economy. It's going to take up a lot longer than anyone anticipated. Um, I think Sunak, even though 
he is a conservative, I, and I did disagree with him. He was right when he said um, in his leadership speech he was going to, um, you know, keep not cut tax because it would be economically irresponsible to cut tax. That's what the argument was, basically, was that it's not going to work because you're going to get a lot of, you know, you're going to get a lot of people people who can't afford basic, basic living. That's hence the reason why brands like Asda's basic brands of uh, living have done so well is because people can no longer afford it. Um, and with the pound dropping, that's very bad because he's now dev- what what they've done with the uh, what they've done with the mini budget is they've basically devalued the pound, made the pound insecure and arguably very dangerous to invest. You know, if you were to invest a pound, you'd probably lose it. Very similar to do you know the NFTs, Bill? I do. They're they're quite um, unstable, aren't they? NFTs. Well, they were well. really good at one point, and um, Jake Paul bought an NFT. I think it was worth something like thirty thousand or something. It's now worth ten pound or ten dollars. That's basically what the pound has gone. It's gone from being worth quite high to being worth quite low. Um, so I don't know what he's going to be in Chancellor. I don't know how he's he's going to act. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad particularly but uh we'll just have to see i i i think i watched him when he was in charge of the health and social board when he was head of it at the committee and he scrutinized boris johnson and matt hancock very well um when they were making pro when they were doing co covid problem when they were breaking laws in covid and about matt hancock giving contracts to you know his mates rather than having a look and see if they were the best people for the job um, in terms of supplying the um, the, uh, the the masks for uh, COVID, so I don't know how he's gonna. I don't know how he's gonna do. Um, I mean, I personally, I watched the Johnson and uh, Jeremy Hunt um, debate, and I felt, you know, obviously, I'm not a, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm as far away as a conservative that anyone could be, but uh, I felt like um, watching those two debate, I felt Jeremy Hunt did come off come across as a stronger candidate for prime minister than Johnson. Um, I felt Johnson, when he was speaking, just spoke a lot of waffle, to be honest with you, to tell you the truth. And uh, But yeah, unfortunately, the membership chose Johnson. And I think you've got to look at the, uh, you've got to look at the strengths. I think if Johnson didn't become prime minister at that time, if it was Jeremy Hunt, um, jo- Jeremy Hunt wouldn't have been able to deliver the... Um, would have not been able to deliver the Red Wall. So if you listeners who don't know about the Red Wall, were well, these were the Red Wall in Labour with the former northern, northwest to northeast seats that the Conservatives took from the Labour Party, basically. Um, you know, which has been, it was unprecedented. You had communities there who'd never voted Conservative and they weren't, they were either when the seats first became, they were Labour or the last time they were Labour would have been, no, sorry, the last time they would have been Conservative were 200, 300 years ago. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think that's where Johnson's strength lies. He could get the votes in, but as an actual politician, as an actual prime minister to get things done, he was a lot more weak. Yeah. Jamie Hunt as a politician can get stuff done. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's rumored that there's going to be a general election in two months. So I don't know what he can get done in two months. I imagine, Bill, it won't be a lot because, you know, it's only two months. He himself, Jerry, might try and make a run for being prime minister again, you know. He's not that old. And I think, you know, he's tried a few times to be, to to get it, but he might actually get it because I think now we're in a situation with the Conservatives where we have, they are sort of set off in groups. Uh, Jeremy Hunt wasn't one of, um, 
Liz Truss, people, Boris Johnson's people. He was more associated with David Cameron, Theresa May. Um, he actually tried to run. He actually tried to run the leadership election we just had um, for um, Prime Minister, for leader of the Conservatives, and indirectly Prime Minister didn't get in. Um, I I thought it was a surprise because I I did say um, I remember speaking to somebody who was a Conservative Party member. I did say if I w- if I was a Conservative Party member, I would pick Jeremy Hunt because he is dissociated with Johnson's group. Um, he seemed to openly criticise Johnson. Um, there are big similarities between Jeremy Hunt and Mitt Romney. How Mitt Romney was a Trump, how they're different Republicans. Well, that's the same sort of relationship we have with Jeremy Hunt and uh, Boris Johnson. So these were just some of the uh, these were just some of the reasons why I thought he would have been made a better prime minister than Johnson. Not that he would have made a perfect prime minister. Yeah. Although I do think personally, what's going to happen is now now that we've got a new chancellor, the the um, the Conservative. Uh, um, leadership the conservatives are going to pick a new leader and that leader will now be a four guy because they're not winning the next general election they haven't had a general election properly since 2010 they've just had handovers more or less um and i'll be honest with you i don't think that they are they're going to win because it's impossible because they they've changed too many people in very short periods of time you know so and during especially now with um with with uh, the current with the old chancellor They've only been in power for um, a little over a month and they've basically nearly more or less devalued the pound and nearly, nearly ruined the economy. So I don't think that they're, the Conservatives now are even a credible government anymore. I think what's going to happen is they're going to put someone in as the fall guy to be Prime Minister. I do think it will be Jeremy Hunt. Some people think it will be Sunak, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Sunak can go again because of um, scandals he did like um, his wife's... Uh, non-dom status basically making himself an American citizen and yet have high high office. So I doubt I doubt Sunak, if he does run, he'll be getting with the conservative population. And as a conservative, Sunak's policies were quite left wing. It was more about high taxation, which isn't really conservatives ethos. A conservative ethos is low taxation. So I don't think he was really that popular with um voters, particularly especially conservative voters who wanted a Conservative government with low taxation because one of the arguments with uh, Boris Johnson's government was that they weren't conservatives because they were high taxation. They were saying conservatives would turn to a Liberal Party or Tory light party. So no, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see what uh, Jeremy Hunt could do in a small amount of time. Although I mean he, this, I mean I don't think he'll do a lot again because I reckon there'll be a general election and then we'll have a hopefully we'll have Rachel Reeves as a as our new Chancellor for Labour. But we'll, we'll see, we'll see. It's yeah. open. <laughs> so I don't know if this is the right question to ask, but is what would be the difference between uh, a conservative chancellor compared to a Labour chancellor? What do you think Labour, uh, obviously Labour would ha- has to be in charge to be the chancellor. If Labour got in, what would the Labour chancellor do different that, say, a conservative chancellor would do? <laughs> well, one thing they wouldn't be as corrupt. Um, I don't know. Um, well, no, I do know. Well, that's what I mean. There's many different types of of uh, Labour chancellors. Um, if you have a Labour chancellor who's more left of the party, like say John McDonald, who was Corbyn's shadow chancellor, he probably believe in high taxation. Um, watched. I went to the Liverpool conference. I watched Rachel Reeves' conference as chance. You know what she would do. It was much more balanced. Um, they was taxing, 
you know, obviously taxing taxing um, the, the the large corporations and putting money in not just the average people, but sort of people who are more middle class with their businesses to help them grow. I think uh, Labour's ethos now is that we need to um, look after the economy. It always has been, but there's always been a problem that, oh, yeah, Labour cannot be trusted with the economy. But, well, well, our biggest critics can't say that after what's happened in the past few months of this Conservative government. Um, what we were trying to do is put money in, obviously put money in sort of um, um, companies who aren't super rich, uh, which are sort of middle of the ground, and smaller, so rather than trickle down effects, trickle up effects. Or as you've heard, have you as as have you heard Cameron say back in twenty ten, building the Northern House? Basically, in short, it would be to create wealth and then distribute that wealth rather than try and distribute, try to create wealth and keep it in one area. Because I think uh, what a lot of conservative government want to do is um, just keep. Look, if you look at somewhere like London. Um, create the economy in London, build up the economy, but just keep all the wealth in London and not move it to, say, all the other cities like Liverpool, Manchester, Edinburgh, Cardiff, Glasgow, Leeds, which is what you need to have more of a balanced economy, which would be better, which means then you won't have everyone trying to go to work in London, which will bring the house prices down, people will be more spread across the country, and it'll modernise the country, basically. Yeah, that's quite interesting, though. I didn't know. You, you've you educated me there, to be honest with you. You're the man for talking politics, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what, can you, what can I say? What can you say? You're a politics man. You're a man of the Politician people. Politician in waiting, maybe. Oh, of course you will be. <laughs> so yeah, so Jeremy Hunt is going to be the new Chancellor. Yeah, I don't have high standards for him, but we'll see what you can do. You just never know. Like, he, might, he might surprise you. Well, he has... The thing is, you gotta look at who's in charge. Liz Trust, you know, she yeah, didn't. She didn't. Didn't Liz Trust um, do something recently that she went back on her word or something? And she has. She said did. she had no shame on it or something. Well, on what now was this? Sorry, Bill. It could have been the budget or something. I can't remember. I think what it might it was. be the budget. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but you gotta look at the history of Liz Trust. I'm sure that'll be an episode for another another podcast, but. What I will say is that um, she started as, started off as a Liberal Democrat. Um, she was a Republican, and now yeah, I was going to say she didn't like the monarchy. Did now she? she seems to love the love the monarch and has become the has become a Thatcherite, which is I find absolutely ridiculous. Really, I think she's just. I think personally, she's just gone with the right wing of the Conservative Party to get the votes rather than stick to her own principles. Or she has generally turned that right wing, but. Either way, uh, she's just made a mess of it, really. Complete mess of it. It was quite funny. Um, I saw a video there a few days ago. I don't know if I sent it to you or not, but uh, it was when uh, she went and saw Charles. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, Charles go, King, and King Charles goes, oh, you're back again so soon. And then she says something. Then he goes, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Even obviously the royal family can't have an opinion, but even though Charles knows it's time for her, yeah, to go. they must know that she didn't like them and she said all this stuff about them in the past. They must know that. Well, it's not it's not on that really. It's just how competent prime minister she is, and at the moment she's only been in the job for about a month, and she's turned out to be quite a useless prime minister. She doesn't really. She just seems to be. She kind of reminds me of a chicken almost. 
and she's just walking around, doesn't really know what to do. She's exactly, yeah, around. exactly. I, around, Bill. I saw on uh, Piers Morgan's Instagram post today. He, he I'm, I don't know what, what he votes. I think he did con- vote conservative and all, but um, he he did the post on his Instagram today. I'll get it up now, so I'll read yeah. it out to the listeners. Please do. I'm sure Pierce would have the free advertising if he's listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not sponsored by Piers Morgan or anything. No, no, but if he wants to come on the show, please come on in, Pierce. We'd love to have you in. <laughs> One second, though. All right, here we go. So the picture is trust. And uh, he, he says, has there ever been a more clueless, reckless prime minister than Liz Truss? It's time she put herself and the country out of this shambolic misery and resigned. And then everyone's in the comments saying, bring back Boris. <laughs> oh, I don't know, really. I used to think uh, Boris was at the, lo- the lowest it'd be set. Can you go in lower? And yeah, Liz Truss and her gang of useless... Uh, group of Tory uh Tory Tory leadership. It's terrible really, isn't it? Sounds to me you don't like the Tories though. No, what made you get gave you that idea, Bill? I love the Tories <laughs> I do. Ah, uh, you love them, do you? I got, I bet you got posters on your wall of them and all, oh, yeah. You have a poster of every Tory Prime Minister and Chancellor going back since nineteen ninety two. Not to uh, scare away any Tories that want to come on the podcast, make sure message us because you know we'll happily have you on. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to see your point of view. We'll try and argue to Liz Truss. Please, please, I would love to see that. I think we all need a bit of a laugh here, to be honest with you. <laughs> right, so uh, I think that's that for this week's Current Affairs episode, Dil. Um, bang on 45 minutes, not bad. Bang on, not too bad, no, not too bad. So, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks for, the, thanks for the listeners for listening to this week's uh, Current Affairs. And, um, yeah, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care, guys. Mm-hmm.